Good afternoon. I'm Paul Nuglos, President and Executive Director of Crisonia on the Delta, which is a Memphis-based nonprofit dedicated to fully exploring the vital link between food and health. On behalf of Crisonia on the Delta, we are so excited to have the two of you with us today live to discuss innovation and how it fuels advances in logistics, agriculture, food, and health. Innovation is an overused word, but you are two individuals who have built not only careers, but multi-billion dollar companies based on the ability to truly innovate time and time again. I'd like to open our discussion this afternoon by asking Rob to talk to us about innovation. Fred Smith in 1971 basically created something that not existed before, basically overnight delivery. Over the years, everyone came to realize they simply could not live without it. So my question to Rob to kick this off is, how does FedEx as a global logistics leader continue to innovate today? Well, thanks, Paul. And, and Jeff, it's great to be here with you as well. Um, exciting to address this group and talk about innovation. You know, one of the most important things about answering that question is distinguishing between invention and innovation. They're really quite different. Innovation is almost always about confluence. It's about things coming together. When you think about the innovation that is FedEx, you almost have to describe our founder's life. Fred Smith was born here in the Mid-South. Uh, his father was the founder of Trailways Bus Lines. Um, and at that point in time, that was how you got parcels moved around. You took them, if you had an immediate need to get a parcel delivered, you took it to the bus station and put it on a route. His father unfortunately died when he was fairly young and his mother remarried the founder of the Tennessee uh, Air National Guard wing here in Memphis. And so he began to understand aviation and all the things going on, the confluence of route running and aviation birthed this idea when he was at Yale to, to launch kind of the immediate needs that the world was quickly beginning to show with regard to the advent of uh, computers and technology and aerospace and all the things that were going on there. A lot of people misunderstand the innovation of FedEx that it was about the overnight letter. The overnight letter actually came in after the fact. Fred's vision was always a belief that the world would need supply chains that were connected for the movement of critical goods. And today, we connect 99% of the world's GDP in 220 countries. So the idea uh, was birthed and grew really out of an innovation and an innovative founder. And, uh, you know, we've got one of those on the, on the, on the panel here with Jeff. Um, Jeff, I was going to ask you, you know, last year here in Memphis, Indigo launched Indigo Carbon. It's a program that pays farmers for implementing practices that reduce on-farm emissions, improve soil health, and sequester carbon dioxide. This is just one of Indigo's innovative offerings. Can you tell us a bit more about Indigo's offerings and how they contribute to its mission to help farmers sustainably feed the planet? We've been talking about that a lot this afternoon. And I guess the real question is, is the ag market receptive to innovation like this? Awesome. Well, first, thank you for 
having me here to participate. You guys put on a spectacular event and it's more fun to do it in 3D, but you know, we'll, we'll live with it in, in, in 2D. Your kind introductions and Rob's kind words are <laughs> uh, superfluous and, uh, and I'm bowing here to Rob and everything that the spectacular organization of FedEx has, has done. But um, Indigo is a, a seedling comparatively, of course. Uh, we started the company six years ago. The original insight was fairly simple, um, but, but if true, had potentially really wide-ranging implications for, for our food system. And, and that was that it appeared that every plant has microbes living inside of it, not just the nodules on legumes, but every blade of grass in your lawn, every leaf on a tree in a jungle, every stalk of corn in the world, et cetera. And for the same reasons that the microbes live, that live in us benefit our health, which is that selfishly they want to keep us alive because they've got a great home. If you're a microbe and you get to live in a plant, you've got an awesome home. So it turns out these microbes help protect plants from everything that farmers care about, drought stress, heat stress, pathogen stresses. And, and we realized that through the internal plant microbiome, we might be able to provide products that could be scalable levers to improve grow profitability, improve the sustainability of our food system, and to help better connect it with what many consumers want, which is more natural, healthier inputs to the, the farming system they depend on. That became our mission. Uh, we decided not to make it technology specific, but technology agnostic. We wanted to just Im improve those attributes of agriculture in any way we could. So that's led us to launch a couple of other business lines since then, uh, four in total. So microbials, which I mentioned, a digital marketplace and accompanying transport solutions so that growers can interact with more buyers for their grain. They can interact with digitally optimized transportation suggestions. And so that you can track data and allow a buyer that wants a specific quality of grain or sustainability, sustainable practices behind grain production can pay extra for exactly those. And, and that led us to Indigo Carbon, which we were, as you mentioned, uh, delighted to announce in, in Memphis a year ago. Conceptually, it's a, a realization that, of course, in addition to producing, not only does agriculture produce our food, if you rethink what a plant does in order to achieve that, plants are actually our most extraordinary technology for grabbing carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and building something useful with it. Um, they, of course, they, they build our food, but every pound of green that you see in a field comes from about a pound of carbon dioxide that they pulled out of the atmosphere. And depending on how growers farm, that carbon dioxide can be retained in their pool of carbon in the soil and, and make the farm healthier, make our food system more resilient, or it can be released back into the atmosphere. And, and Indico Carbon is a, a business line that's built to allow growers to be paid for this other crop, you know, this, this crop of, of carbon that instead of being harvested above the ground is, uh, is in fact enriched in the soil itself, but provides a, a valuable service to society by pulling that carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. So to the last part of your question about have growers responded to this, we're, we're, we're fortunate that um, that the answer seems to be yes. Um, you know, our, our thesis with Indigo Carbon specifically is that 
you know, gosh, it, it's it's really hard to farm. Uh, you have to be incredibly entrepreneurial, and in many ways, it's harder. Farming is as hard as it's ever been. And uh, so, what we're trying to do is introduce new streams of revenue, so the growers who change their practices to sequester more carbon carbon can get paid for something they've never been paid for before. How many tons of carbon dioxide have you sequestered and to get paid for reductions in their emissions? And I'm happy that we've got a couple million acres uh, in the program who are actively committing to practice changes and, and moving down a path of, of uh, more sustainable farming. And we've got buyers for carbon credits who are enthusiastic about offsetting their own uh, corporate carbon uh, footprints by partnering with farmers and uh, and providing that new re revenue stream to them. Very interesting. Um, I know, Jeff, that you started companies in both agriculture and healthcare. And so we've spent a lot of this afternoon talking about how these industries are converging. Our motto is food is health. And so I'd be interested in how you view the interactions between the two industries. And are we really on to something here or is it, is it a case of, I, I don't know, are we ahead of ourselves or do you really see the two industries converging? Uh, you know, unquestionably, you know, if you go to the let thy food be thy medicine, uh, you know, premise from long ago, uh, if anything, we've, we've unfortunately lost sight of that in many ways. I mean, most of the chronic disease burden in society is, is directly linked to the choices we make on a daily basis in our diet. And, and of course, that shouldn't be surprising in that, I mean, we literally are what we eat. It's not figurative. The atoms that every one of us is made up of right now comes from the corn we eat, you know, the, the food that we eat, and therefore comes from the atoms in the air on farms and in the soil around those plants when they grow. That becomes us. So, um, you know, if, if anything, we need to bring these closer together. And if we invest more in our food system, I think we'll have to invest less in our healthcare system. And uh, uh, and and yet, you know, another another aspect of that occurs to me is uh, they both share in a technology revolution that we're we're still at the beginning of, which is that every year we're understanding biology better, and that is making you know many new medicines possible. It, it's also helping us to understand our food system better and, and to improve it and make crops more resilient to the stresses that, uh, that threaten their yield. And, uh, and, you know, whether it's data science, whether it's the, the history of genetic modification, um, in many cases, agriculture actually wins first. So, you know, as uh, scientists are you know, pouring over computers and making advances into how to understand life better. Um, that's going to have continued dual benefits in better medicines for diseases we don't have treatments for today. And, it, you know, hopefully better foods, uh, you know, more profitable farms um, and a better food system. Okay. Rob, I have a question on... You know, we, we thought a lot, and obviously everyone is, has spent a ton of time these last nine months, you know, focused on the pandemic, 
how it's changed our lives personally, how it's changed our lives business-wise. But in many ways, you know, I talk to people, there, there have been opportunities that have come out of the pandemic. And some of these are business opportunities. I, I don't think anyone could have, you know, well, no one could have predicted that we weren't going to be able to get together in person anymore and we were going to do everything over Zoom. I also don't think anyone could predict, you know, the impact it's had on e-commerce. And I'd just be interested in the impact it's had on FedEx's core business. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool question, Paul, because <laughs> there is a lot going on as the world adjusts to this, uh, you know, what everybody calls the new normal. I don't know that we any of us know exactly where we'll land, but frankly, we've been slingshotted into the future uh, of of what we were predicting would happen with things like e-commerce. We believed that e-commerce was a phenomenon that would grow here in the U.S. to 100 million shipments a day uh, by 2025. We now believe that that will easily happen by 2023. And we've seen, you know, for those that saw the retail numbers come out over the last couple of days, I mean, incredible growth in e-commerce. And so that has created opportunity for us. But frankly, it's also been a significant challenge and a test as to whether the things that we were working on strategically were the right things. And I'm pretty happy to say that, you know, you can't fake it when all of a sudden this kind of volume and this kind of intensity shows up in your network and shows up as a as a need that the world has. Uh, you're either ready for it or you aren't. So for us, you know, we have this really high sense of purpose that's emerged out of this, which is propelling our team members around the world to perform at really high levels. And so we, we believe that people are the basis of any good business and good culture. And so we're excited about how the purpose that we feel to serve the world at a time when it needs us the most. And that, that ranges from at the low end, you know, making sure that you can get dog food delivered to your home by Chewy and at the high end to make sure that we're ready to deliver vaccines and critical PPE uh, we've delivered more than 42 kilotons of PPE around the world already in this pandemic. Uh, we've been one of the primary suppliers of critical supplies, pharma, uh, all kinds of needs that the world has in the midst of the pandemic. Not, and, and not just pandemic related, but the things that people need every day to stay healthy, including foodstuffs that are super important to allow people to be healthy, uh, be sheltered at home, and, uh, and, and make those critical uh, supplies uh, available to them in this, in this crazy world. Having said that, you know, when you look at the international world and the way that express and expedited air freight works, uh, prior to the pandemic, about 60% of that traffic actually moved in the underbellies of passenger airlines. So most people don't realize that, but when you're flying on a big uh, passenger airliner, the space underneath you is pretty cavernous. It's, it's, it's a big space and it is way bigger than what's needed to carry the luggage of the individuals on the plane. Well, obviously in the pandemic, 
a lot of those routes um, stopped flying. And so that capacity dried up in at a really critical time when there were huge needs to move things internationally uh, to support the world and support the pandemic. So that's helped us as well as, as that goes. But um, you know, all this was about strategic innovations that were underway inside of our business to, to improve our ability to serve an e-commerce world, to develop connected systems and technology that allowed us to manage a global network that has the kind of reach and, and the kind of capabilities needed to deliver the millions and millions of packages that we deliver every day uh, to, to people and, and businesses in ways that help them keep, keep thriving. So we, we believe that we connect people and possibilities around the world and through that businesses prosper, communities flourish and people thrive. And that's what powers uh, FedEx um, along with a lot of innovation that uh, that has allowed us to keep pace with the world that's changing really quickly. Wow. So with the uh, with the nonprofit and our food is health message, you know, in the early days of the pandemic, we were we were kind of worried, you know, is what we're talking about still important and still pertinent? And what we found out with comorbidities and, you know, the fact that the fact that COVID has seems to have such a worse impact upon folks who unfortunately have have comorbidities, we realized our message was more important than ever and that food actually is health and that un until we start addressing diet and we start addressing, you know, diet preventable diseases, um, you know, we're really not we're really not focused on the issue at hand. Jeff, I'd be interested how and, and obviously Indigo's a much younger company. Um, you're doing a lot of things. What impact has the pandemic had upon your initiatives, if any? Well, I, I love the way you just described the connection between <clears throat> food and our health and our awareness of that and, and, and the community you gather together being more important than ever. Um, you know, in many diseases, what's happening is that there's a, there's a sink in the house that is overflowing and the drain stopped up and it's flooding the whole house. And so we come up, come in with a tiny bucket that is a drug, you know, to take one pail out at a time. And if we could just turn off <laughs> the, the, the faucet, uh, we'd, we'd be much better off. So, um, you know, we immediately, like everybody else, moved to, to work from home. I, I have to say, I was always skeptical that work from home would ever actually work. Uh, I. <laughs> I just presumed that there'd be this dilution of efficient communication and, you know, sensation of mission and, and you know, and commitment. If anything, it's the opposite. Like, you know, a bunch of people enjoy challenging commutes. That time was basically kind of given to Indigo and, you know, this prospect of, 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 of digging in during a, a time that's hard. Um, additionally, agriculture is, you know, often criticized for, uh, doing many things outside of a digital realm. I mean, McKinsey recently put together a survey of the most digital industries, and it put agriculture and hunting right next to each other at the bottom of the list. And I, I don't think most farmers would put their farms as being akin to hunting in terms of how digital the experience is. 
Um, they're, they're both enjoyable, but, but, but we've got a lot more sophistication in, in farming than that. But, uh, but if nothing else, this is accelerating, you know, everything moving into a digital realm. I mean, you know, right now we're sitting here talking as electrons to each other. And, uh, and I think it's gonna enable, you know, more database decisions to be made on farms, benefit of operations of farms. Um, you know, farmers make 60 decisions a day that are of consequence in their operations. If every one of those has 10 options, that's 10 to the 60. It's about the number of atoms in the universe. So there's no way, you know, there's no way anybody can optimize even one day, let alone a season of operations. So um, I, I think there will be long-term benefits that come out of this, but, uh, but gosh, it's, you know, it's, it's making, uh, it's making life hard for, uh, for everybody. And, you know, can't wait to see the end of it. Yeah. So why don't we spend some time talking about Memphis and the Delta region? Um, you know, one of the backdrops of our forum is that we, we believe that Memphis and the Delta region are very much emerging as a proving ground for the next generation of food and health. Um, and so I'd be interested, Rob, you know, FedEx chose Memphis as its global headquarters almost 50 years ago. Could you go into us a, a little bit, give us a little bit of a history lesson in terms of what factors influence that decision? Yeah, you know, it's, it's super interesting just how much innovation there is in Memphis's history, uh, including FedEx, but not limited to FedEx. You know, when I think about Memphis, I think about Kimmons Wilson and the founding of Holiday Inn, Abe Plow and Shearing Plow and the launch of Revlon and Coppertone, Clarence Sanders with the birth of the modern grocery store in Piggly Wiggly, um, Elvis Presley and W.C. Handy and so, you know, uh, what Danny Thomas did at St. Jude, you know, th there's this there's this waterfall of innovation in music and healthcare. And, uh, and in industry that, you know, that really is inspired me as someone who's not a native Memphian. I came here uh, to join FedEx and, you know, have thoroughly loved getting to know this city and how cool the region is, how authentic it is and, and how real it is. But uh, there, there's, um, you know, our history here you know, as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, Fred was Fred was actually born in Marks, Mississippi, but Fred Smith and and raised here in Memphis, and uh, really, you know, began to understand that, you know, that that Memphis was a connector. It had this connecting potential to it, and even to this day, with you know, runways and rails and rivers and roads. I mean, you can you can see how Memphis is connected. The interstate system of the entire uh, Americas really connects here in Memphis. Six class one rails uh, that come through Memphis, the river in the third largest inland port. Uh, Memphis International Airport is often, you, we usually we trade off with, uh, with Pudong, you know, for being the world's busiest air cargo airport. So, you know, Memphis is hyper connected. And Fred saw that early, early on and said, you know, if we just placed our business here, we would have connections available to us from a time and distance standpoint that were uniquely advantageous to running a business like what, what he said. So, 
Um, you know, I, I love to talk about Memphis, you know, and, and, and not everybody does, but boy, you know, I think it is, I think it's a cool place. I'm, I'm loving the fact that Indigo is here. We wouldn't have known about Indigo um, were, it, were not for them kind of centering here in Memphis. You know, that's what caused us to want to invest in Indigo. Uh, we believed in the science that they were talking about that, you know, we, we had long believed that there was a carbon offset potential out there and that there were carbon sequestration things. I'd worked with Fred on how to reforest parts of the world, how to think differently about how to capture carbon. And along comes Indigo and you just go, wow, okay, farming, that's a great way to capture carbon and get that carbon back into the soil uh, from whence it came in, in most cases. So um, all, all that all that said, we're, we're delighted that, that Indigo is here. Um, it is, they, they've, been a, they've been a great partner for us and we believe that our uh, responsibility towards the environment involves us, you know, we, we obviously burn a lot of fossil fuels to, to make the world um, connections that we do, but we very responsibly believe that we have to offset a lot of that and that partnership with companies like Indigo, especially here in the Mid-South, really can make a big difference. Great. Jeff, do you want to expand on that a little bit? I mean, Indigo obviously is much more recently you know, come to Memphis, but you did establish your commercial headquarters here. And what was what was the thought process behind that? And, you know, a couple of years in now, how's it going? Uh, well, <clears throat> well, Rob described that beautifully. Uh, that was like a masterclass tour guide of, uh, of Memphis. So, I, I, you know, I was going to facetiously say that we really wanted to rent a building that was close to a uh, minor league ballpark and you know Memphis's best opportunity we're, we're fortunate to be able to see the Redbirds from 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 the indigo uh, indigo facility but uh, you know it it's it's in the heart of agriculture and you know you drive in any direction and you've got access to some of the most important crop harvests in the world you know the most important cotton harvest is just around the corner so to speak and you know same with with corn and weed and um, you know, being a company that was uh, that was born sort of on the footsteps of MIT's campus in, in, in Cambridge, Mass., getting street smart and getting connected to customers was incredibly important to us. So Me Memphis feels like, you know, home, not, not even second home. It's, uh, <laughs> we lobbied avidly to get a direct flight between Boston and Memphis so that we could, you know, have more people going back and forth on a regular basis. And, um, and, and evermore, you know, we feel like the community we're tapping into, the talent we're tapping into, and then ways to, to help the community itself are, uh, you know, are just enriching the, the company itself. We recently created a collaboration with the state of Tennessee's Department of Economic uh, and Community Development to introduce a, a digital agronomy assistant diploma, trying to get more people trained in what we think the future tools of agriculture are, are going to entail. And, uh, and I think that's just the beginning. It's a uh, spectacular area and particularly being, you know, confined to Boston during the uh, emergence into the cold part of the year. It's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm missing uh, 
being down there right now. Can you give us any sense um, going forward in terms of the collaboration between the two companies, um, you know, above and beyond being in Memphis? And Rob touched on this a little bit before about carbon sequestration and how that's important. But if you had a if you had to look into a crystal ball, uh, can you give us some indication of how the, the companies might collaborate in the future? I'll you give that to, to either either of you or both of you. <laughs> well, um, you know that collaboration has has already begun, and and I'm gonna let Jeff carry most of this water. But the, you know, we we made an investment, and that was public uh, in Indigo because we believed that it was really important. We didn't see companies like ours uh, taking a stance on you know in this space. We were working with Yale and the forestry. Uh, division there at Yale's a renowned um, uh, forestry uh, organization there that was also talking about sequestration and the role that plants played in capturing carbon and the importance of of what that could mean to the future. So um, when when we began to hear about Indigo and uh, we met Jeff and some of the team there, to us it was just really an exciting idea that you know in, in a more practical fashion you could change farming in a way that would do the same things that we had been thinking about and talking about uh with regard to sequestration and we felt like that was the biggest opportunity uh on the planet to to reverse the trend of of carbon emissions um, really just continuing to deplete carbon from the soil and introduce it into the atmosphere. Let's reverse that trend through farming. You know, I have a, I have a farm outside of town. I'm, 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 a, I'm a small farmer, but I've worked, I've worked closely with the University of Tennessee and the Extension Services out in Hardeman County at Lone Oaks Farm. Uh, we're doing a lot of work at, at UT in the, in the, um, in the ag sciences world and, and, the, the university community also believes that these kinds of, you know, no-till farming techniques and so many different things that Indigo is, is really um, putting forward as the new science of, of agriculture work and, and can make a huge difference as we go forward on a, in a lot of ways. Chemical runoff, you know, topsoil loss, all kinds of things there. And I do want to kind of finish saying, you know, another one of my real... F fascinations and interests is in in um, nutrition. So I, I chair the board for an organization here in Memphis called Church Health. Church Health is one of the largest public clinics in the world uh, with more than 140,000 square feet of clinical space at uh, Crosstown Concourse. Many of you from the area know of Church Health well. But one of the things we did at FedEx was we founded, a along with Tulane University, we founded an institute there that um, uh, teaches and works with food science with the underserved um, patients that, that are the, the prime uh, patients at Church Health. And so we teach them how to prepare foods, how to use foods, you know, very much along the lines of what Jeff was talking about, because chronic disease, which is just runs rampant in underserved communities here in Memphis, some of the best medicine that we know of at Church Health and all the work that we've done there is 
let's eat differently, and that can really produce different outcomes. We, we featured Dr. Scott Morris earlier this afternoon, and we had a couple of segments actually on church health, so that should really resonate with, with our audience. Um, Jeff, I was wondering if you could take it off from the Indigo side a little bit about what, what you have in the works. Yeah, of course, and I'm reminded in hearing Rob's beautiful de description of uh, their own perspective on carbon sequestration, how it felt like we were educating the teacher in our, our first discussions with, with Rob and their team, that they had spent uh, an extraordinary amount of time thinking deeply about ways of sequestering carbon, nature-based solutions. And, uh, and because this was an epiphany you know, to us, uh, and we've been thinking nonstop about <clears throat> the science and biology of soil, microbes, uh, seeds, and, and, and crops, uh, we we assumed it would be would be novel to <clears throat> to everyone, and of course they they uh, put us to shame in that regard. But it, it's really easy to overlook how big agriculture's opportunity is in carbon sequestration. I mean, just just to give you a comparison, everything that the company, the electrical and uh, and solar company Tesla has done, has amounted to a. a a very large and positive impact in CO2 emissions reduction. They put it on their website and update it all the time. It, that's in total about three and a half million metric tons since the foundation of the company. And, and to put in perspective farming's opportunity, if about 1% of U.S. farmers shifted to regenerative practices, that could in a single year surpass that total in terms of total sequestration that that land is able to, to achieve. A, a farm shifting to regenerative practices can sequester a ton or more of CO2 per acre on the land, let alone if they do it every year, you know, let, let alone if it's not 1%, but it's 10%, you know, or it's 10% of the globe, and you know, if we go beyond that. So, you know, we, we've got challenges ahead of every major industry. And if you think of agriculture as this, uh, you know, unoptimized technology for carbon sequestration, it, it's commitments and partnerships like um, the leadership that, that FedEx has, has shown, and and we're incredibly grateful for the chance to be connected to them. Um, that can help to drive the kind of innovation, but behind carbon yield enhancement that, of course, we've seen in corn yield enhancement and, and soy yield enhancement and every major crop. I mean, if we provide the incentives to every grower so that they shift and optimize their practices, <clears throat> the potential for positive impact on our food system, the resiliency of it, and our climate is, uh, is meaningful. Terrific. Um, in the remaining time we've got, I, I wanted to do one thing you know, I always I find these in, these interviews you know, not only interesting, but like a real opportunity to get to talk to folks that, you know, I, I normally wouldn't get to talk to. So I'd like to take this opportunity. Jeff, do you have a question you'd like to ask Rob, you know, or something you've been thinking about? Like, you know, boy, I'm getting to talk to Rob Carter. This is something I always wanted to understand or I always wanted to know. It, you know, Rob, I know you have the restrictions of a public company, and I don't want to pry too many secrets out of you, but 
<clears throat> literally everything you've said, I've been sitting here listening, hoping that I won't have to speak and I can just listen to you more. So I'd love to hear, given the legacy of innovation you guys have had, the extraordinary impact, um, you know, yet, as you described at the beginning, you kind of made it feel like the night is still young and, and you guys are just getting started. I'd love to hear what are some of your favorite uh, new initiatives that uh, that you see uh, underfoot at, at FedEx? What a, what a great question. I want to assure the audience this is not rehearsed either, um, but there are so many cool things going on. I want to you know, I want to start off by saying we believe in what we call the two wings of innovation, that that innovation always involves partnering on the outside and bringing together our talents from the inside. If you only innovate one of those ways, it's kind of like trying to fly with one wing. You just sort of go around in circles on the ground. So when I think of autonomous vehicles, I think of our partnering with um, DECA and Dean Kamen uh, and the incredible work that we're doing on on our same day, uh, same day delivery bot that is, you know, such a cool thing. Dean is the guy that he invented so many things, but his iBot platform, which was designed to help uh, disabled uh, citizens lead a, a more, you know, active life. It can climb stairs. It can raise you up. You know, it had 10 million hours of testing, but now it's become the platform for, for us and the kind of innovation that we're doing in that part of our autonomous vehicle programs. We're partnering with Microsoft on a big data initiative that some people may have seen go live. We're, we're partnering with Indigo on things like, um, you know, like carbon sequestration. You know, there, there's, um, there's just a lot going on in that space. We're partnering with Don Tapscott and the Blockchain Research Institute on how to, how to take blockchains and, utilize them effectively, obviously not just in the world of cryptocurrency, but in supply chains and creating authentic, reliable, uh, irrefutable supply chains that are so important to things like food supplies, pharma, other things where you really need to be able to authenticate from the point of production to the point of consumption where foodstuffs came from, where pharma came from. Um, that's just a couple of the things. Uh, the The Internet of Things is a really interesting one. We're doing a, you know, this is one that we've done a lot of internal work on, but we're working with a company out of Norway to innovate around sensor-based logistics and embedding sensors in all the shipments that we're sending around the world uh, so that you can keep track of them, not because they were recently scanned, but because they have an active and embedded sensor on board uh, with the ship. And we've deployed, this is a fairly new program, but we'll use it for tracking the vaccines once we start moving that. But we've got 500,000 of them out there in our network now moving around, able to watch shipments as they move around the network. Really cool stuff. But uh, I love I love the question. I could talk about that for a long time. <laughs> oh, man. That Rob, do you have a question for, a question for Jeff? Well, you know, I, I've uh, we we have gotten to pick their brains quite a bit, and and it's you know it's just fascinating to me. But you know, it, I love just listening to Jeff talk about things that are important to him, what he's looking forward to in this world. So my main question is, tell us what we're not thinking about with regard to how agriculture and how the work that you're doing around carbon um, is is going to change the world. 
Well, first, let me compliment your answer that uh, knowing how hard it is to innovate, um, the fact that you guys still have your, you know, your pedal jammed to the metal and uh, are thinking that expansively about the next leg is, uh, is inspiring. So, um, you know, I, I feel like we're, we're staring at the, the luxury of a great compass in that, um, you know, it's hard to know anything about the future. But with near certainty, we're going to have to change every industry. So we're reducing carbon emissions and agriculture is going to be included in that. And yet for agriculture, it's it's this extra opportunity in that it's a new revenue stream that virtually no farmer on the planet has ever been able to access before. And, and if you take the billion people who are intimately connected you know, to the workings of our food system and you give them a new you know, a new line on, 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 their, on their balance sheet of revenue, the potential for ingenuity and innovation, uh, if we can get measurement to be scalable, models to be scalable, and for this to be accessible to every farmer in the US, eventually every farmer in the world, I think is truly spectacular. I mean, we've got, uh, we've got you know, those billion minds that uh, if committed, you know, and uh, and given the right incentives, uh, I think have unlimited ingenuity uh, behind them. So we're 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 hopeful that we can be a meaningful part of setting that flywheel in motion. And again, so grateful to FedEx, City of Memphis, and and Paul. Thank you for putting on such a spectacular event. Well, listen, I want to thank you both. This has been an excellent conversation, and um, it's it's a wonderful way for us to wind down the forum. So again, we appreciate it very much. We appreciate your insights and your time. So have a good evening and thanks again. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thank you, Paul. We hope you enjoyed this afternoon's Food is Health Forum. More importantly, we hope you learned something and we hope you made valuable connections that can help you with collaborative solutions going forward. Help us keep the conversation going by registering for our bi-weekly Chrysonia Conversations, and joining our Slack channel. Both can be found at chrysonia.org. With that, I'd like to thank our sponsors and partners for making this afternoon possible. We will return to Memphis. In the meantime, please remember, food is health. <laughs>